to celebrate the birth of Jesus this morning. And, uh, you know, the birth of someone, of anyone, is really a, a pretty memorable day, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's the day you're born. It's been said that birthdays are wonderful, but too many of them will kill you, which I think is, is certainly the case. But I think you can learn a lot from someone about their birth. And as a pastor, I get the opportunity oftentimes to visit a newborn child in a hospital. And I think you learn, you do learn something about that child right from their beginning. Uh, you know, I've been in situations where there's been a struggle. Maybe it's a premature birth or there's some health issue right from the beginning and the child is a, a fighter, you know, willing to fight through the sickness and, and, and overcome. I think that tells you something about the child right from the start. Or maybe it's an adopted child. Uh, maybe you're on the, I'm on the, you get to see the side of the, the family that, that has to give up the child or maybe the other side, someone who's receiving that child. It tells you something as well. If a child is born into a wealthy hospital here in the United States, that says something about the child and the prospects of its future. If the child is born in a third world country like Nepal, that says something about the child. Uh, when I was in Chicago, the, the big thing in our church were home births. People would like to give birth to their child at home, which my wife and I were not about. <laughs> but others liked that idea. That tells something about the child and the home that that child is being born into. What does Jesus' birth tell us about him? We learn that he was born into a stable and laid in a manger. What does that tell us about Jesus? I want to read to you Luke 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, there is a Bible in front of you, but we also put the scripture right on the screen if you'd like to follow along. We read these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, this morning can be a little different. Usually I go verse by verse, those who are with me. Today we're going to just go do a little bit more topical. I just want to talk about why a manger? Why the manger of all places? Uh, the manger, this is an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to know where we're going, if you'd like to take notes. Uh, but just three things. A manger is a humble place, a manger is a unique place, and a manger is a symbolic place. But first, a manger is a humble place. This is not a proud or exalted place to be born. Uh, as we learned even from the kids up there, that there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, they were turned away. Imagine traveling all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's a long trip, by the way, especially by donkey or by camel, whatever they took. Uh, it's a long trip. You get there and there's no place for you to stay. And the, uh, even in the inn, there's nothing there so that you end up staying in a stable. It kind of happened a little bit one time to my family and I. We were heading back from Disney World and we were driving through the night and we were looking for a hotel to stay in and we couldn't find anything. Uh, everything was entirely booked up. I think there was some football conference in that area, whatever, Virginia area. And we couldn't find anything. We finally found one hotel that said, uh, we don't have any rooms left, but we, you, we can stick you in our conference room. 
Uh, there's no shower, and we can stick some cots in there, but there is a bathroom. And we contemplated it for a little while and said, never mind, we're just going to keep driving through the night. Ended up sleeping a little bit at a rest stop, but it was no fun having no room for you uh, to stay. But more than that, we say to get stuck into the stable, um, and then Jesus is actually born there and placed in a manger. Now we want to romanticize the manger, in a sense. But understand, a manger is a dirty place. It'd be like being laid in a, a chicken coop. It would be like being put into a big dog bowl, filled with all of its smells, and dirt, and germs, and fleas, and ticks, and whatever else. If you don't know what it is, a manger is a feeding trough. A feeding trough for domesticated animals. Actually, the word manger comes up in Scripture a few other places. In the book of Proverbs 14.4, we read, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come from the strength of the ox. In other words, if you have an animal and you're going to use that animal, an ox, it's going to mess up your manger. It's going to be a dirty, smelly place. Job 39.9 says, Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? And the point being that only domesticated animals that you're responsible to feed and care for use a manger. It gets dirty. It gets messy. What does that tell us about Jesus? That he comes in humility. That the Savior of this world would come not born in a palace and not born in a mansion and not born in some large estate but in a stable. And he would not have some ornate handcrafted wooden oak crib or a baby blue bassinet. They'd have to make a makeshift crib out of this feeding trough for animals. In fact, humility wouldn't just be about his birth, it would be about his whole ministry. He was the son of a carpenter. He lived as a carpenter the majority of his life. He had no PhDs, he had no formal education, never wrote a book. Everything we read in the Bible was not written by, well, let's just say, God wrote it, right? The scriptures, but not Jesus himself in his 33 years. And he dies a criminal's death in the end. Friends, Jesus' coming would be in humility, and those who wish to follow him must serve the servant king, which means that we also are called to humility. Pride has no place in his followers, even as it had no place in his birth. Second thing we learn is is it's a unique place. It's a unique place to be born, that's for sure. Uh, Jesus was uh, to be found and recognized partly by the fact that he was put into a manger. Uh, We read that the shepherds are told about this baby that's born. Uh, A baby being born in Bethlehem is not remarkable. I mean, it's not, I mean, there's babies born every day, everywhere, all over the world. But laid in a manger, that's what makes it stick out. In fact, we read that in Luke 2, 12. This will be a sign for you, uh, the angel says, speaking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And that's how they identify him, 2.16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. In fact, I think all throughout history, I don't think there's any other example, at least that I can think of, of a baby being born and laid in a manger. If there is, it most likely comes after Jesus' birth and probably as a copy of Jesus' birth or in honor of or whatever it may be. But I can't think of another example. Uh, Jesus stands out. He's different than everyone else. He's, He's not just some king or prophet or priest. He's not a professor or poet or a politician. 
He's not a warrior or a soldier or an admiral. There's something truly unique about Jesus. Not just a baby was born in Bethlehem, though he was truly human, but the eternal son. He's very unique. Actually, I'm heard, I've been told that grammatically speaking, very unique is inappropriate, right? You can't have anything very unique. Unique means one of a kind, so you either are unique or you're not. But I think in Jesus, maybe we can make an exception. He's very unique. <laughs> like if you have a bunch of brown horses and you have one black horse, that one black horse is unique. But if you have a bunch of brown horses and you have one purple pony, that's very unique, right? <laughs> I think with Jesus, we have someone who is very unique. He is God with us. God showing himself to us. God's show and tell. In fact, this idea of the nativity that we see all the time, it's, it's stood out throughout history as a place that is unique. I think we have a picture of one. Uh, there's many, many pictures, obviously, of this. This one uh, comes from the nativity, it's called, from El Greco, from the late 16th century. Uh, you can imagine all throughout the centuries, this picture of the King of Kings being laid in a manger has made it stand out. It's something that I think artists have noted uh, all throughout history as well. I think of the great Bono from U2, right? The lead singer of U2. This is what he said. He said that the same love and logic would choose to describe itself as a baby born in straw and poverty is genius. And it brings me to my knees, literally, to me, as a poet, I am just in awe of that. It makes some sort of poetic sense. It's a thing that makes me a believer, though it didn't dawn on me for many years. Or Michael Card said, imagine that it would, what it would be like to be at the Father's side one moment and struggling to sleep in a cattle trough the next. Jesus stands out. Walter Wink said, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. C.S. Lewis said, you have to decide who Jesus is. He claimed to be the Son of God. His whole ministry, his whole life is unique. It stands out. As Lewis said this, he said, you have to decide whether he's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Jesus could have been a liar. Some claim that he was. He just claimed to be something that he wasn't. He could have been a crazy person who claims to be God. That happens. For he was exactly who he said he was. He was indeed the Lord. It's been said that Christ is either completely unimportant or the most important thing in the world. But he can't be anything in between. I go with Lord. I go with the one who uniquely came to us as the Son of God. And thirdly, the manger is a symbolic place. It's a symbolic place. A God never tends to do anything without a specific purpose. He tends to have a meaning behind everything that he does, right? Well, what is the manger? The manger is, is a place outdoors. It's out in the open air, basically. It's out there with creation. Here is the creator of all who is there out in his creation. Uh, under the wood that he has made. Laid in the hay from the grass that he created. Breathing the air that he fashioned. Imagine that, the creator outside in his creation. What more appropriate place for him. Madeline Langle said, A tiny, helpless baby whose birth we honor contained the power behind the universe. Helpless and at the mercy of his own creation. The manger is a place for animals. I think that's pretty obvious as well. Uh, in Bethlehem, that would be mostly sheep. 
Most of the sheep that were raised in Bethlehem were used for sacrifices in Jerusalem, just a, a short distance away. And so here we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Those who've been with us know that's what John the Baptist claimed about Jesus. Here we have the Lamb who has come to us to be our sacrifice born in the manger. The manger is a place to put food and water. (laughs) How appropriate that the bread of life, that the living water, that our spiritual nourishment comes to us in a manger. Friends, this Christmas, look to the one born in the manger. Look to him as the creator of all, the one who made this world in all of its beauty, in all of its grandeur, and who submitted himself to creation and is willing even to give his life for us. Look to him as the Lamb of God, as the one who would lay down his life for us, who would give his life for us on the cross. That's where our forgiveness, our grace, mercy from God comes to us by faith in him as Savior. And look to him as our spiritual food. He's where we find true satisfaction. He's where we find true happiness. You know, I was doing a little bit of of, uh, reading about happiness in general. And uh, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy, I think. Well, Duke University did a study on happiness. And they came up with eight things that basically uh, determine people's happiness or play into people's happiness. And I think it's interesting how Jesus kind of addresses each of these things. So just follow me on these eight things. First, happiness. If you want to be happy, you need to avoid suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness, the study shown. And what does Jesus say? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us, our debtors. Number two, not living in the past. An, an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression, the study shown. What does the scripture say? Forgetting what is behind, looking forward to what is ahead, I press on to the prize, which is heaven. If you want to be happy, don't waste time and energy fighting conditions that can't be changed. The study found. What does Jesus say? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You want to be happy? Stay involved with the living world. Happiness increases when we don't become reclusive. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Be willing to lay down your life for your neighbor. You want to be happy? Refuse to indulge in self-pity when handed a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some suffering. As we see again and again in Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, one of uh, uh, Jesus' followers, said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, in plenty and in hunger, in abundance and in need. You want to be happy, cultivate virtues such as love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. That one's too easy. Again and again, Jesus says, love your neighbor, have compassion on those who need it, imitate him. If you want to be happy, don't expect too much of yourself. When there's a wide gap between yourself, expectation, and your abilities, feelings of inadequacy lead to unhappiness. Jesus again and again reminds us that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, and that we only have one master to please, and that's God. And then, lastly, to be happy, according to this Duke University study, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered and egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. 
Friends, nothing is bigger than God. (laughs) Nothing is more important than Jesus and his mission. And nothing is more humbling than to follow him. Look to him as the spiritual food, as the bread of life, as the living water, where we find true satisfaction in God. Jesus came to us in a manger. A manger is a place of humility. It's a unique place. And it's a symbolic place. Today we celebrate Jesus' birthday. The day of his birth. As I said in the beginning, birthdays are nice, but too many of them will kill you. The day that Jesus was born, he became mortal and ready to die. He only had about 33 of them. And then he laid down his life for us. Friends, this morning, behold the miracle of Christmas. God the Almighty was born in a manger. You know, friends, perhaps there is another connection between the manger and us, our hearts. Manger is a dirty place and a smelly place, a humble place, and a place that is unworthy of a king. And yet that is how Jesus comes to us as well. Not because we're so righteous and worthy or because we've earned it or because we're so good and clean, but in his mercy and his kindness and his grace comes to sinners who don't deserve him. That's right, the definition, friends, of grace. Jared Wilson said, Christmas is a reminder that God's sovereign love reaches, prioritizes even, the outskirts of humanity. There is your hope. Lying in the manger. He is much bigger than he looks. Would you pray with me? Well, our great and our gracious God, we thank you so much for this church family in which we're able to gather together. Thank you, Lord, for the diversity of this church family. Thank you for the little kids up here singing and our choir members. And we get to gather together and celebrate the way you have worked in each of us individually, the way you transform lives, the way you bring us the Lord Jesus. Not because we're worthy and clean and we've got everything all figured out, like a palace or a castle or a large estate, but like a manger and like a stable, Lord, in all of its dirt and smell. As sinners, Lord, you come to us and redeem us and make us your own. We thank you. We love you. May this Christmas be a great celebration, Lord. We thank you for all your gifts. The gift of family and friendship. The gift of all the physical possessions that we own. Let us rejoice in them and look to the giver. For every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so, Lord, we rejoice in you and rejoice in your greatest gift to us, Christ our Savior. Be glorified, we pray, in his name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together.